So, President Trump holds a big immigration meeting with Democrat Steve Bannon, is out at Breitbart News and apparently back to bagging groceries where he belongs. And it turns out that President Obama designed his own library. It does not look good. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. So a lot to get to today. Obviously, there's a lot of breaking news on immigration, including a judicial ruling that is just absurd. Also, Steve Bannon is out at Breitbart. And uh, as you may have noticed, this does not displease me. Plus, uh, as I, I have to show the pictures of the Obama Presidential Library because they truly are astonishingly awful. I mean, it's like the guy took a Chinese takeout food box, unwrapped it, and then decided to model his library on it. That's basically what it looks like. Mathis is nodding because he knows this is true. Before we get to any of that, we are first going to say thank you to my sponsors over at Birch Gold. So Birch Gold is the place that you need to go if you're interested in hedging your financial bets. If you look at the stock market right now, it's doing great. It's, it's up at over 25000 But there may be a correction sometime in the near future. If you look at the real estate market, it's up too, but that may be a bubble. One of the ways that you can protect against government inflation, one of the ways that you can protect against economic uncertainty is with precious metals. And that's why you need to go and talk to my friends over at Birch Gold Group. Birch Gold Group has a long-standing track record of continued success, thousands of satisfied clients, countless five-star reviews, and A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Contact Birch Gold Group right now to request a free information kit on physical precious metals. It's a comprehensive 16-page kit, and it reveals how gold and silver can protect your savings and how you can legally move your IRA or 401k out of stocks and bonds and into a precious metals IRA. Ask all your questions, get all of them answered, and then when you're ready to invest, talk to birchgold.com slash Ben. Again, that is birchgold.com slash Ben. Go check it out right now. Use the slash Ben so that they know that we sent you. Okay, so while I'm desperate to begin with President Obama's a presidential library because the pictures are just so astonishing, you're going to have to wait for that. First, we're going to start with President Trump having his big immigration meeting at the White House. So there were two purposes for this immigration meeting. Purpose number one is to push back on the Michael Wolff fire and fury narrative. So that narrative, which we talked about at length yesterday, suggests that Trump is just a crazy person. Trump is a nut job, uh, a child in a man body, uh, a sort of uh, a kook who's escaped from the asylum and uh, is now running amok through the White House, destroying everything. And so Trump wanted to hold this bipartisan meeting to show, no, you know, I'm going to have a basically normal meeting. And we'll have a bunch of Democrats to the White House, and we'll talk, and nobody will get hit in the head with a frying pan, and it'll totally be fine. And in that, he succeeded. He was fine. When it came to policy, however, things were not quite so glowing. Uh, the president gave a bunch of mixed signals about what he would be willing to sign or what he would not be willing to sign in terms of DACA. Now, to review, if you recall, back in, 2016, back in 2012, Barack Obama passed into law sort of, through executive order, the executive amnesty. This was the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. It suggested that anyone between the ages of 16 and 30 at the time that he signed this into law, that those people would be able to stay if they were brought into the country as children and had been there for a certain amount of time. And that being the case, all those people would eventually be legal citizens of the United States, was sort of the unspoken promise that Obama was making. So Trump comes into office, and several months into his term, he decides that he is going to overturn DACA. But at the time, he says... DACA no longer applies, but if Congress doesn't pass some version of DACA to keep the so-called dreamers in the United States, then come March, maybe I'll just reinstate it, which is a weird statement to make because the whole reason for striking down DACA in the first place was based on constitutional grounds. He said, it's unconstitutional for the president of the United States to simply say that a bunch of people are now going to get green cards to stay in the United States or papers that suggest that they can be here legally without the approval of Congress. So it'd be weird to reverse himself and then say, well, you know what? I decided the constitutional question doesn't matter. Now I want this policy back in place, and therefore it will be back in place. That would be a weird argument for Trump to make. 
So yesterday, Trump is at the White House and he leads off with his actual proposal. His actual proposal is that he will sign into law an enshrinement of DACA, right? Basically legalizing the presence of the so-called dreamers, maybe giving them a pathway to citizenship, maybe not, maybe allowing them to stay in the country permanently without the ability to vote, for example. It's not clear what exactly he's talking about here, but he says there won't be any staying in the country for the dreamers unless I get the funding for my border wall. Now, this is a fairly unremarkable position that Republicans have been taking. There's some hardliners like Ann Coulter uh, who have been suggesting that under no circumstances should Trump reinstate DACA. Instead, he should just push for independent funding of the border wall. Instead, he should just push for an end to chain migration. Chain migration is the process by which you come here, you drop a baby, and the baby's a citizen, and now the baby brings you in as the parent, as a citizen. Right? It's chain migration. You bring in your entire family. In fact, the, uh, the last terrorist attack that occurred in New York City was by somebody who'd been brought in essentially through chain migration, started off as a person who got in through the visa lottery. That person brought their family over through chain migration. Trump wants to end chain migration as well. He should. Chain migration is stupid. The idea that you get to bring your entire family over just because you're here. How about we determine whether you bringing your family over is good for the United States rather than just simply assuming it, especially when you're talking not about immediate family, you're talking about cousins and uncles and aunts and grandmothers and all the rest. In any case, the, the Ann Coulter say no DACA at all. Now, that is what I would prefer, too. I would prefer a system where we look at all of these people on a one-to-one -one basis. I've said this a thousand times, where we look at these folks at a one-to-one -one level. We decide whether they ought to stay or whether they ought to go, and then they go in the back of the line. They can stay here while they are waiting for their actual papers, but they have to go to the back of the line because it's not fair to privilege them over people who have been waiting diligently in line for years to get their green card and get their citizenship. Uh, but... President Trump thinks differently. He thinks that DACA has to stay. The reason for that is he doesn't want the ugly pictures of ICE coming in and deporting people, just ripping children out of their mother's arms and then putting them on a plane to El Salvador. This is not something that Trump really wants to do. Uh, or the opposite, getting rid of the taking mothers and the baby was born here, so the baby is a citizen, taking the mothers and deporting the mothers and leaving the babies here. Trump doesn't want any of those pictures. So he says, we want to do DACA. We want DACA done, but we, we're all still going to get my priorities done. So in order for Democrats to sign off on this, Democrats want what is called a clean DACA bill. Whenever they say clean, clean just means without any riders. So what they want is DACA re-enshrined without any wall funding, without any curbs on chain migration, without any curbs on the diversity visa lottery. Trump would like, if DACA is going to get done, all of the above. He wants an end to chain migration. He wants curbs on the diversity visa lottery. He wants it done away with. Uh, he wants his funding for the border wall. And that's what he said yesterday. And by the way, as I said a couple of days ago, that deal is not a bad deal, right? It's not, it's not a terrible deal, right? If, if he ends up basically retaining status quo with regard to the Dreamers, who, by the way, were never really going to be deported, if he ends up retaining status quo but getting all of his policy priorities, that's a win for the president. He knows it, and that's why that was what his position was yesterday. Here's what he said. Just to clarify, is there any, is there any agreement without the wall? You need it. So you would, John, you need the wall. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. I'd love not to build the wall, but you need the wall. And I will tell you this, the ICE officers and the Border Patrol agents, I had them just recently up. They say, if you don't have the wall, you know, in certain areas, obviously, that aren't protected by nature, if you don't have the wall, you cannot have security. You just can't have it. It doesn't work. You would not support Senator Feinstein asked you, which would be a clean DACA bill that doesn't No, I think a clean DACA bill to me is a DACA bill where we take care of the 800,000 people. They're actually not necessarily young people. Everyone talks about young. You know, they could be 40 years old, 41 years old, but they're also 16 years old. But I think, to me, a clean bill is a bill of DACA. We take care of them, and we also take care of security. That's okay, so 
The reason that he's reshifting at the end there is for a reason that I will show you in just a moment, because the fact is that President Trump doesn't know what clean bill means, and so now he's recapitulating what clean bill means. Now clean bill is supposed to mean including security, which is not what clean bill means typically. There are a lot of mixed messages in this press conference. Now, does he look like he is in control? Yes, and that's what he wanted, right? So this, this gives the lie to the idea that Trump doesn't know what he's doing or that he has no capacity to function in this office. This is the problem with Democrats setting the bar so low. When you suggest that somebody legitimately does not have the IQ points to function in a given job, and then the person seems to be functional, then it is a visual rebuke to all of the lines that have been used by Democrats over the past year, a couple of years, about Trump being so crazy that he can't be allowed anywhere near the Oval Office. Here is, uh, here's Trump continuing, but, but the, the bigger story, I think, for conservatives is the mixed messages. So Trump, for example, dropped a full-on Jeb Bush line. He suggested that he wanted a bill of love. I remember when Jeb Bush said that trying to legalize illegal immigrants was an act of love, and he was ripped up and down for the privilege, right? One of the people ripping him was Donald Trump. How dare you say act of love? And Jeb sort of retreated into the corner. Well, Donald Trump did exactly the same thing yesterday. He talked about how he wanted a bill of love. Now we're going to have a bill of love. First of all, I don't think that we should have bills of love. I think we should have bills of good policy, just as a general rule. I'll, I'll show you what Trump said in just a second. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Indochino. So you want to look your best, right? You have a big business meeting coming up, or you have a wedding coming up, or you have a big date coming up, and you want to look as stylish as you possibly can. Well, that's where Indochino comes in. Indochino makes you a made-to-measure suit. It fits better compared to a generic off-the-rack suit. It is made from scratch. They're the largest custom apparel company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for a great fit. Here's how it works. You pick your fabric, you choose your customizations, you submit your measurements, you place your order and you wait for it to arrive in three weeks or less. Or you can go into one of their headquarters in places like Los Angeles. I went into their headquarters in, in Beverly Hills and it was a really fun experience to actually get to look at all of the different modifications and the tailor works with you to figure out exactly how you want it to look. It all looks great. My favorite suit that I own is actually a, a blue slash gray, a light blue slash gray three-piece suit with a vest. It is very stylish. It is very colorful. Um, and it definitely draws eyeballs, not just because I'm a deeply handsome human being, but also because the suit is just great looking. You can shop online at Indochino.com or visit any of their showrooms across North America. And right now, my listeners get any premium Indochino suit for just $359 at Indochino.com when you enter Shapiro at checkout. That's $359. Indochino.com when you enter Shapiro at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a premium made-to-measure suit. Again, shipping is free. Indochino.com, promo code Shapiro. Any premium suit, $359 plus free shipping. So cheaper than off the rack and better than off the rack. Fits better, looks better, has all the modifications you want. Feel like you're James Bond, right? You've got the, you've got the, the actual you know, tailored suit to match your coolness. That's what Indochino is for. Again, it's spelled I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, Indochino.com, and use promo code Shapiro at checkout for that special deal. Okay, so Trump says that he wants a bill of love. So here's him explaining what he wants from DACA. And again, you'll see that the message is moving around a fair bit here. We have a lot of good people in this room, a lot of people that have a great spirit for taking care of people we represent, we all represent. I feel having the Democrats in with us is absolutely vital because this should be a bipartisan bill. This should be a bill of love. Truly, it should be a bill of love, and we can do that. Oh, the bill of love. And Jeb Bush somewhere just is crying and crying because if only he had been Donald Trump and said bill of love, everything would have been fine. But he said act of love, and Trump ripped him up and down for it. So here is where the confusion sets in. So it looks like Trump has a relatively clear position so far, right? We're going to get DACA, but we're also going to get border wall funding, and we're also going to get the end of chain migration, and we're also going to get the end of the diversity visa lottery. Again, 
Is it, would I prefer that he not do DACA and get all of those things? Sure. If you're going to make a trade, though, that's not a bad trade, right? That's about as good a trade as you're going to get. I was advising a couple of Republican senators last night on this, and I was saying push as hard as you can. The reason I was saying push as hard as you can is because Trump actually is not going to take a leadership role. The great lie of the last campaign is that Trump was going to take a leadership role when it came to actual policy prescriptions, such as on immigration, that he was going to be the great leader here. He is not, and he made that pretty clear yesterday. So here is Trump debating with Democrats, and you will see that Trump legitimately does not actually know what he's talking about when it comes to the terminology on DACA. He actually has to be corrected by Representative Kevin McCarthy, the House Majority Whip, on his position. Because for a moment here, he actually signals support for the Democratic position that DACA should be passed without any sort of strings attached. So here's Dianne Feinstein saying something and then her being absolutely stunned when Trump agrees with her. What about a clean DACA bill now uh, with a commitment that we go into a comprehensive immigration reform procedure like this. Okay, can you pause it for one second? Okay, before we get to Trump's answer, what she's saying, just to clarify, is that she wants deferred action for childhood arrivals, Obama's executive amnesty made law now, and then afterward, we'll negotiate about diversity visa programs, and we'll negotiate about curbing chain migration. Here's the problem. If Trump were to do that, he loses all leverage. The only leverage he has to get Democrats to vote for this thing is that they want DACA, and if they want DACA, maybe they'll give him some of the things he wants. If he gives them what they want, you think they're going to stick around for a discussion about comprehensive immigration reform? Are you kidding? Of course they're not going to. Of course they'll sink any possibility of curbing some of the more popular methods of illegal immigration. So that's what she's saying to him. She's saying, let's do what I want, and then later, later, we'll do what you want. Right? She's doing the wimpy from, from the Archie comics. Hey, give, me a, give me a hamburger now, and I'll give you the five bucks later. That's basically what she's saying. And then she's shocked because Trump doesn't know what she's saying, and so he agrees with her. Right? That's what happens right here. Kennedy was here. I, I think that's basically what Dick is saying. We're going to come out with DACA. We're going to do DACA, and then we can start immediately on the phase two, which would be comprehensive. Would you be agreeable to that? Yeah, I would like, I would like to do that. Go ahead. I think a lot of people would like to see that. But I think we have to do DACA first. Mr. President, you, you need, when we talk about just DACA, we don't want to be back here two years later. You have to have security, as the secretary would tell you. But I think that's what she's saying. I think, well, I, no, no, I think she's saying something here. Okay, you can see Kevin McCarthy steps in and goes, uh, Mr. President, uh, no. You're totally wrong about this. So this is the problem with the idea that Trump is going to lead the way on this because Trump legitimately doesn't know what he's talking about. And so he has to have Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy is no hawk on immigration, by the way. And Kevin McCarthy is from California. He is not an immigration hawk. And he has to step in and inform the president this is not how negotiations work. And then Trump basically starts giving away the store. So this is the problem with, with the meeting. You know, Mr. President, just... Just for, for the, please, pipe down, let Congress do its work, sign what comes across your desk. You, you can hear when Trump starts to negotiate, his opening negotiation for, position for a guy who's supposed to be this master negotiator, his opening negotiation position is, let me give you everything you want. That was also his opening negotiation position, if you recall, on the budget, where he told the Democrats, here, have everything you want. And he stunned Paul Ryan and he stunned Mitch McConnell, and both of them walked out of Trump's office going, what the hell just happened? That's what happened yesterday, too, on immigration, briefly. Now, Trump, I think, is going to back down now and let Congress do its work. But you can see why Republicans are a little bit discomfited with the idea that Captain Immigration Hawk over here is giving away the entire store, right? Halfway through this meeting, Trump actually says, we don't need a wall. That's what he campaigned on, guys, right? Build the wall, build the wall. And then he says at the White House, build the fence in parts of the border that aren't covered by water or mountains, which doesn't have quite the same ring to it. Here's the president. I had the big meeting with ICE 
last week. I had a big meeting with the Border Patrol agents last week. Nobody knows it better than them. As an example on the wall, they say, sir, we desperately need the wall. And we don't need a 2,000-mile wall. We don't need a wall where you have rivers and mountains and everything else protecting. But we do need a wall for a fairly good portion. Okay, so this is a change from what he said during the campaign because people were saying to him exactly this, and he was saying, no, 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 no. It's because you're a wimp. It's because you're a wimp that you don't want to build a wall along the entirety of the border. And now he's saying what everybody else was saying, which is you can have a wall in places. You don't have to have a wall in places. And then it gets worse. Then he says, listen, you guys, let's be real about this. I'll sign anything. I mean, he really says this. He said, like, he actually, this came out of his mouth. So the, as I say, the meeting was good for him on an image level because it made him look as though he actually wants to deal and he can speak full sentences and he's capable of carrying on a conversation and he's capable of listening to McCarthy when McCarthy says, Mr. President, whoa there, hold your horses. But watch Trump say, listen, you send me something, not going to veto it, comes across my desk, I'll sign it. it, it this is, an astonish, again, an astonishing negotiation position. When this group comes back, hopefully with an agreement, this group and others from the Senate, from the House, comes back with an agreement, I'm signing it. I mean, I will be signing it. I'm not going to say, oh, gee, I want this or I want that. I'll be signing it because I have a lot of confidence in the people in this room that you're going to come out with something really good. Oh, gee, I'm not going to sign this or I'm not going to sign that. It's called the veto power. Right? If you're not threatening to use the veto pen, what in the world are you doing in this office? Like, at a certain point, you are going to have to threaten to use the veto pen. Now, if all of Trump's most, you know, most ardent supporters, the people who are the in-Trump we trust Ann Coulter types, are looking at this, they're going crazy. And Ann Coulter was, to her credit, going insane yesterday, right? Ann Coulter was losing her mind over this press conference, basically saying that it is a full-on disaster, right? She's, she's tweeted out this morning, Quote, if Trump was FDR, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, but nothing against fear. Fear is good too, believe me. If Trump was JFK, ask not what your country can do for you unless you want to, then ask away. If Trump was Reagan, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall or leave it up. Your call, I'm good either way. If Trump was Paul Revere, this is all from Ann Coulter. She wrote a book called In Trump We Trust, right? Not God, In Trump. Well, apparently that Trump has been, that trust has been betrayed, according to Coulter. She says, if, Paul, if Trump was Paul Revere, the British, or some of my best friends, they're coming and going, and it's all very exciting. <laughs> if Trump was Churchill, we shall fight on the beaches. Or if we have a world-class picnic there, depends entirely on the weather. So she is just ripping him up and down, suggesting that he has completely failed his own base. That, that you know, she, is, she called it the lowest day of his presidency. She says, as he, continues the utility, the, as he considers the utility of walls and promises, Trump should consider that never Trump was toothless, but former Trump will bite. Right? She, she's going on and on here about, uh, about Trump's big, big statement yesterday. Mickey Cow said, Democrats and Republicans struck notes of cautious optimism after the meeting, with both sides seeming to agree that the wall and border security are interchangeable terms. Sellouts, uh, same sellout strategy. Right? So there, there are a lot of people who are very, very critical of, of Trump here from his right, and Trump you know, should notice that. Now, in reality, is Trump going to be the one who's defining policy? He is not going to be the one defining policy. And, and Trump basically just throws things out there. Let's be frank about this. Every time Trump talks, he's throwing crap against the wall. That's just his, his strategy, typically. He's throwing crap against the wall. So yesterday, in the middle of the meeting, he just throws out there, what if we brought back earmarks? So if you recall, a few years ago, Congress banned earmarks. Earmarks are the process by which you add pork to bills. The, the case in favor of earmarks is that you can't get anything done without them because you have to pay off all the members of Congress to vote for your bill. And that's the case in favor of earmarks is what they call pork barrel rolling, that basically you hand somebody pork and then they vote for your bill. 
that was banned because people said, why are we wasting all this money on the Robert Byrd Memorial Highway in West Virginia in order to pass a defense bill? That makes no sense. Trump says, why don't we bring back the earmarks? And you can see members of Congress are like, wait, what, what did he just say? The other Republicans are, are saying, wait, wait, you came here to drain the swamp and now you're talking about earmarks, really? The old earmark system, how there was a great friendliness when you had earmarks, but of course they had other problems with earmarks. But maybe all of you should start thinking about going back to a form of earmarks because yeah. this system, <laughs> this system, <laughs> well, you should do it. And I'm there with you because this system, this system really lends itself to not getting along. Okay, so much swamp training, so much swamp training. Bring back the earmarks, my goodness. So Trump says a lot of stuff, but here's the point. In the end, this is gonna be negotiated by Congress. And in just a second, I'm gonna to explain to you what exactly Congress is saying about this. Because Congress has a, uh, Congress, you know, is, is obviously Republicans and Democrats have very vi different visions of this. One of the things that's been kind of hysterical and funny about all of this is the fact that the media were sort of taken aback by Trump speaking in full sentences like a human. And so they started saying, well, everyone agrees on this. They don't, right? First of all, I think it is important to point out that Jeff Flake is not wrong, the senator from Arizona, when he says that he was surprised at Trump's flexibility at the meeting. I think everyone was on the right, on the left, because this is the thing, Trump doesn't actually have a lot of policy beliefs. This is one of the dangers in Republicans losing Congress. For all of the Republicans who say Trump is the party, Trump is the entire party, if Trump loses Congress, if the Democrats take over the House, and if they take over the Senate, I'm gonna talk about the Senate in a few minutes here because Joe Arpaio announced his candidacy for Senate in Arizona, which is a beautiful way for Republicans to lose another Senate seat in a red slash purple state like Arizona. But Jeff Flake, he says, I'm surprised at Trump's flexibility. The reason that's a problem is because if Democrats take Congress, they will start passing bills. Do you think that Trump's gonna sit there with a veto pen? This is a guy who's very angry. Uh, well, I wouldn't say angry. Very anxious not to use the veto pen. He, doesn't, he wants to get things done. He likes having his name on things. And it doesn't matter if it's a Democrat bill, I think, or a Republican bill. He's not somebody who's gonna go to war with Democrats when they run the Congress. It's easy for them to go to war him to go to war with them when they're in the minority. It's a lot harder when they're passing bills and putting them on his desk. And then, because here's Jeff Flake saying that he was surprised at Trump's flexibility. Frankly, I went in with pretty low expectations. You, you don't put 22 people around the, the table and expect to really negotiate. And we're at a point now where we really need to negotiate. Uh, but I was uh, surprised at, uh, you know, when the cameras left at uh, the president's flexibility on the matter. And, um, that he uh, actually went in and explained what he meant by the wall and border security, and that's helpful. It really is. Yeah, so there, there are a couple different positions inside the Republican caucus. The position that's hardline says we're gonna get all the things that Trump originally said he wanted. The position that's softline says we'll have border security but no wall. We'll add a few ICE agents. We'll maybe curb the diversity visa lottery, but we're not gonna make any big changes. That's how it's gonna get hashed out. Okay, just, just so you know, that's how it's gonna get hashed out. It's gonna be hashed out how, what can you get to 51 with? And it may be something weak. It may be something very weak because there are a lot of weak Republicans in the Senate. And Martha McSally, who's currently running for, she, she announced yesterday, uh, she's a House member, that she's gonna be running for the Senate seat in Arizona to fill Jeff Flake's seat, actually. Uh, she says, listen, we're not gonna give them DACA in return for nothing. We're gonna have to get something out of this. We've been working on this tirelessly for the last 
four months together, and uh, we expect to be dropping it as early as tomorrow. Uh, and we believe, again, if you look at, on the one side, you see uh, the Democrats are asking for the DREAM Act or nothing. That's a non-starter. Uh, I think most Republicans are willing to do, have a conversation about DACA recipients, but we've got to make sure that we secure our border and that we don't end up in a situation where we have 800,000 more DACA recipients in one, two, five years from now. So right. these are very reasonable requests that are going to be in our bill uh, that are addressing public safety issues like sanctuary cities, strong border security, also the chain migration visa lottery and some tweaks to asylum reform, unaccompanied minor reform. Those types of things are going to be in our bill. And, and this is, again, us showing that we're willing to be reasonable and address this issue, but we've got to address the root right. causes as to why we have this issue in the first place. Okay, this is why we need people like McSally actually there. This is why it's important that Republicans not lose seats. And this is why this story about Arpaio running for Senate in Arizona, McSally could be your senator. She has voted 100% of the time with Trump. Not 95%, not 99%, 100% of the time she has voted with Trump. Now, I want to make something clear. Yesterday, I was wrong, and I want to apologize to Kelly Ward. I had suggested that she believes in chemtrails or some such nonsense. That was a rumor that was put out by the McConnell camp. It is not true. Uh, she was asked about it at some town hall, and she sort of gave credence to the question mildly. But that's not the case. Kelly Ward has some other problems with her candidacy. That is not one of them. But Arpaio jumping into the race in Arizona makes it likely that Republicans lose this seat. Okay, right now, Arpaio jumped in, and the polls are now showing that Arpaio is running neck and neck with McSally and Ward. So before, Ward was defeating, uh, was defeating McSally by some huge number. She was, she was up on McSally by 20% or something. Now, it's McSally at 31%, Arpaio at 29%, Ward at 25%. McSally's not a moderate. Okay, McSally has, has pushed a lot of legislation with Democratic co-sponsors, but none of it has been particularly left, for example. And she's very pro-life. Yeah, again, she's voted 96% of the time with the Republican Party and 100% of the time with President Trump. Her drawback in the primaries is that she was not an ardent supporter of Trump in the 2016 election. She's a retired Air Force colonel who recently joined the House in 2015. She's hawkish on foreign policy. Uh, so Arpaio, by contrast, is just toxic. Okay, he's 85 years old. He was pardoned by President Trump. He's about to go to prison for ignoring a court order to stop racially profiling. Even if you think that sentence was unjust, there are a lot of other problems with Arpaio's candidacy. His office, the, the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office, failed to investigate hundreds of sex crimes, including child molestations. They had journalists arrested, and then they had to pay out millions of dollars in reparations to those journalists. He tried to charge political opponents, apparently. Uh, his, his department at one point burned down a house in search for illegal weapons that weren't found and then and killed a dog in the process and then apparently uh, charged, the, charged the owner of the home with traffic violations to try and justify it in, in backwards fashion. They wasted hundreds of millions of dollars in various ways. There's a reason that Arpaio, during the last election cycle in 2016, actually lost his sheriff's race by something like 10 points in the same election where Trump won the state by three. And also, Arpaio happens to be a birther. Okay, so there are a lot of drawbacks to Joe Arpaio. He's currently running neck and neck with Kelly Ward and Martha McSally. The big problem here, the, the, the biggest problem here, is that when you look at Ward, Ward, who has suggested that McCain, John McCain was quote unquote directly responsible for the rise of ISIS uh, and suggested that after Tr McCain was diagnosed with cancer, he should have stepped down in her favor. She does support Trump. She was very supportive of Trump. She was a Steve Bannon project until his career imploded, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. She ran against McCain in a primary in 2016. She lost by 11. 
The biggest problem for her, Kelly Ward, is that last month, a poll showed her losing to Kristen Sinema, uh, who is the Democrat in the state of Arizona, by seven points. So Republicans could lose another Senate seat. They lose one more Senate seat, and it's a 50-50 Senate, okay? And, and Mike Pence becomes the tiebreaker. And it's unlikely that Republicans don't lose at least one more Senate seat in the upcoming election, given the numbers right now. So figuring all of this, you'd figure that McSally would be running away. But it's McSally 31, Arpaio 29, Ward 25. So basically, it's a three-way dead heat. Did Republicans learn nothing from Roy Moore? Did they learn nothing from the Roy Moore debacle? This is one of my big problems with how people perceive politics right now, and particularly with Arpaio, less about Ward, who's actually a state legislator, but certainly with Arpaio, is that when you substitute attitude for any level of political acumen or knowledge, when you substitute attitude for policy, you're going to end up with some of the worst people for the office. There's this weird feeling that's now cropped up in the Republican Party, and it was true for Trump. Maybe it'll work out for Trump. Maybe it works out sometimes. It, do it did not work out for Roy Moore. It certainly is not going to work out for Joe Arpaio. And that is that populist style is more important than your ability to get the job done. Okay, if by populist style we mean that you are non-elite, you wouldn't want a non-elite plumber. You wouldn't want a non-elite basketball player on your team. I don't know why you would want a non-elite politician just because it makes you feel like he's one of us. A he's one of us is less of an important descriptor than it is a, uh, a, an actual counterproductive message to put forward about your legislator. So be a big mistake, I think, for Arpaio, especially because Democrats are going to be intransigent. Okay, let's get to the Democrats here. So Democrats are saying openly that they are not basically going to negotiate here, that all of this yesterday was a fraud. Here is Chuck Schumer. He says, listen, we don't need a border wall. We're not going to do a border wall. It's not happening. To take away the things that are needed to protect the border for a symbolic and ineffective political gesture? Oh, there is nothing to this but politics. President Trump is fighting for an empty symbol rather than smart policy that will actually produce better security at our borders. Okay, so there's Schumer saying there won't be any negotiation. Mark Warner is saying that the Democrat from West Virginia, he says that the dreamers are integral to our country and that we therefore cannot even consider anything except for a clean DACA bill. Andrew, for a long time, we've said as part of major immigration reform or even part of giving this immediate relief to these dreamers, 97% of them, by the way, who are either working in school or serving in the military. They are integral to our country. Um, but that we would be open to some level of enhanced border security. Okay, they're really not open to any level of enhanced border security. They're going to hold Trump's feet to the fire and force him to back down in March. Pat Buchanan said this yesterday. I think that is basically correct. Okay, well, I do want to talk about Steve Bannon being out of Breitbart what that means in just a second. But for that, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. For just $9.99 a month, you can get your subscription to dailywire.com. When you do, you get the rest of this show live. You get the rest of Michael Knowles' show live, the rest of Andrew Clavin's show live. You get to be part of our mailbag. You're going to get discounts at the soon-to-launch Shapiro store. Plus, you get to be part of the conversation. So Andrew Clavin, next week on January 16th, is going to be doing the conversation. Uh, this is the new thing that we do where Alicia Krauss basically reads your questions to a to uh, Andrew Clavin or me or Michael Moles next week it's Clavin and you only get to have your questions answered if you are a subscriber all you have to do is go over to the conversation page at dailywire.com after you subscribe and then follow along type in your questions it's going to be January 16th 5 p.m. Eastern 2 p.m. Pacific and when you subscribe again all you have to do is go over to the Daily Wire Facebook uh, the Daily Wire Facebook page or YouTube channel to watch but if you want to ask questions go over to our page at the Daily Wire conversation page watch the live stream start typing into the Daily Wire chat box and Drew will answer questions as they come in for an entire hour again it's January 16th 5 p.m. 2 p.m. Pacific 
join the conversation. And that's uh, Andrew Clavin. So you get to have Drew answer all of your lifelong questions. If you want all of those glories, plus the famed Leftist Tears hot or cold tumbler, the one that is often derided by fellow hosts who are just jealous. I mean, let's be real about this. They're just jealous of the glories of this thing. Uh, you can get all of that for 99 bucks a year. So go check that out right now or listen later, SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, any of the any of the podcast players. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. So I do think that there is a little bit of a danger here with regard to people getting too excited about that meeting yesterday with Trump, not just because he botched the policy, but also because if you're hoping that the media are going to lay off of him because he had a bipartisan meeting, you got another thing coming. What they're going to do is they're going to praise him for his bipartisanship up till the point where he goes back to the original policy he was espousing, at which point they're going to rip him up. And you'll see this in this in this sort of uh, in this sort of jab and jab and punch uh, pairing from from CNN. So here's Dana Bash on CNN praising. Trump's meeting yesterday at the White House saying this is what we'd all hoped that Trump's presidency could be. I'm sure I'm going to get hit for this and I don't really care. I think that the bottom line is that this is a year ago. This is the presidency that many people thought Donald Trump was capable of. We're not going to, we don't know if this is going to be a results um, driven d d debate, but just the notion of him being in command of him wanting the cameras in there and wanting the cameras to see him sitting at a table with Democrats and Republicans playing the role of a deal maker, whether it's it's sees fruition or not. This is what people who had high hopes for the Trump presidency thought it would be meeting after meeting like this. OK, so you can see CNN's praising him. Look at that. He's just going to be meeting with Democrats. It's going to be great. Then Jim Acosta the new chief CNN White House correspondent whose only job is to yell at Sarah Huckabee Sanders for a living. He goes in and he yells at Sarah Huckabee Sanders for a living, forcing her to say, listen, I'm not going to negotiate with you, Jim. I mean, the, the, the media, in other words, are going to be pro-Trump so long as they think he's making concessions to Democrats. The minute that he doesn't, it's over. Democrats are saying that they may not be in favor of this kind of deal. That they're not if Democrats are in favor of protecting American citizens, then I think we've hit a sad day in American history. But I don't believe that to be the case, because as we heard many of them say, as they sat around that table, when several of you were in the room, they are committed to border security. They do want it. And most of them have voted for it previously uh, before this legislation hit the floor. So anything different no is just a wall. If they say thanks, but no thanks for a wall. Jim, I'm not negotiating okay. with you. I'm going to let Congress take care of that. Andrew. You can see the media are already pushing Trump on this. So for all the talk about how Trump won a big PR victory yesterday, it is a it is a PR victory. It stanches the bleeding on the he's crazy talk. But when it comes down to the policy discussion, don't worry, the media will always be out to get President Trump, just as the courts are. There's a court ruling. Uh, this one is coming from a U.S. district judge in San Francisco, barring the Trump administration from ending DACA. OK, that's absurd. That's absurd. It's an executive order. Of course, Trump can reverse an executive order. It is obviously legal for Trump to do that. But the district judge, his name is William Alsup, was appointed by Bill Clinton. And of course, he says that it is unconstitutional for the Trump administration to rescind DACA. He said, the agency shall post reasonable public notice. It will resume receiving DACA renewal applications and prescribe a process consistent with this order. There are a bunch of other courts that have already ruled in favor of Trump on this. He says that Alsup's justification is that this is arbitrary and capricious, right? He says that the federal government can't just renege on all of this, but it's just, it's just silly, okay? The, the, the judicial system is, is now a tool of the left in cases like this, and it is obvious that if a single federal judge can halt an entire federal program based on that, that judge being terrible at his job, 
then we do have a constitutional separation of powers question that must be rectified. I've always suggested that judicial review is not a power that should be given to federal district court judges at the very least. I mean, it's, it's absurd that the president of the United States enact a fully constitutional policy and some judge appointed by Bill Clinton says, now you know what, we're going to go no on that. That's sheer nonsense. Okay, in other news, Steve Bannon is out at Breitbart News. That is a very good thing. Uh, if I've not been clear in my feelings about Steve Bannon, then I would suggest it has more to do with your lack of hearing ability than my lack of clarity. Because I have been extraordinarily clear that I think Steve Bannon is a snake in the grass, that he is a leech on the ass of power, that Steve Bannon is a barnacle on, on the whale of others, that he has never built a thing in his life, that he has merely stood on the foundations built by others to glorify himself. Bannon was finally fired yesterday. Rebecca Mercer uh, apparently was the one responsible for capping Bannon and putting him out of work. He will now be occupying a cubicle at your local Salvation Army where he can get those clothes that he wears for free. Uh, and, he can, and he can hang out with those who, uh, who dress like he does. In any case, uh, Bannon being out, I love this story, that he is now going to be getting foreign funding to, to lobby for trade with China or lobby on trade with China, which should just be really entertaining. I'll be entertained to see where Bannon goes next. It is a good moment for Andrew Breitbart. This was not Breitbart.com. It was Bannon.com. The great tragedy in all of this is that Andrew Breitbart's memory was smeared by Steve Bannon turning this site into something it was not. I wanted to play a clip of Andrew Breitbart. So I've never done this before because I really hesitate to speak for dead friends. I was close friends with Andrew Breitbart. Andrew was one of the kindest uh, and one of the most garrulous people that I knew. There are a lot of people who met Andrew and felt like they knew him really well. And that's because they did. The, the thing about Andrew that was so unique as a human being is that I knew Andrew from the time I was 26 until he, uh, sorry, until, from the time I was 17 until the time uh, he died in 2012. So until I was 28 years old. So I knew him for 11 years. Uh, really, my entire adult life, I knew Andrew. Uh, and I was friends with Andrew. And there are people who had met Andrew once who felt 90% as close to him as I did. And that's because Andrew was utterly transparent about who he was. He was just as, as outspoken and friendly and fun with people he had just met as people that he was friends with for years and years. I want to show you this clip of Andrew from the, the Nixon Library. This is in 2011, uh, about a year before he died, talking about what he saw as the role for Breitbart News, like what exactly he, th he thought Breitbart News was going to become. And the thing is, is they're getting, they're, we're starting to learn to divorce ourselves from the Democrat media complex. We still turn it on and every now and then think that they're telling us the truth as opposed to trying to manipulate us. And so we're going to have to start asking those questions and asking the hard questions. And I've seen a candidate who was preordained as electable go through three debates and now he's sinking because he couldn't do what everybody assumed that he could do. Stop Stop looking to the media to determine what electable is. Okay, so th there's Andrew. And what, what he's really talking about there with the Democrat media complex was this idea that Democrats in the media were combining to create narratives that they were foisting on the American people. And what he saw Breitbart as was a way of debunking those narratives. Instead, Bannon turned it into a personal political weapon against his enemies. So he would use it against enemies of Trump when he felt that was in his interest. He'd use it against Jared Ivanka when he thought that was in his interest. He used it against H.R. McMaster, or he would use it against Ted Cruz, or he would use it against anybody who he saw as impeding his interests. And then eventually he ended up using it basically against Trump himself. Right? Eventually he ended up you know, speaking to the media out of line, uh, out of turn, and going after the president's children, and then using Breitbart as sort of a, a funnel for his viewpoint. It's about time that he was ousted. It's a shame and a tragedy that he was ever put in place uh, I thought that was a terrible idea to begin with. Uh, and the fact that, that Bannon lasted there for so long is, uh, is a blot. I only hope that Breitbart News can go back to its original vision as a culture-centric media narrative fighting site 
um, you know, it'll be it'll be hard for them, I think, to to go fully back to that because the place has become so ubiquitously known as sort of a Trump fan site that it's going to be difficult for them to back out of that and go back to being a culture site. But I think they need to make that transition. I think that that's something that Andrew would have wanted. Andrew never in a million years would have hitched his wagon to one candidate and made that candidate his site. It just wouldn't have happened. He certainly wouldn't have turned his, his site into a campaign organ. I said this back in March 2016. Go back and listen to my podcast. I talked about what Andrew would have done in the middle of that campaign. I think Andrew probably would have supported Trump in the end. I think Andrew and I probably would have disagreed on that. But I think that Andrew never would have stood for his site becoming a propaganda outlet or a bullhorn for his own political aspirations or for any particular candidate and sacrifice whatever journalistic integrity remained in order to do that. I think that would have been completely out of bounds. So I'm glad that Bannon is gone. I think it's good for the Trump administration. I think it's good for the country. Uh, I think that we can now have uh, a real debate over which candidates are good and which candidates are bad outside of the personal Darth Vader posturing of a guy who legitimately never built a movement in his life. He just stood on top of the corpses of, of other people's political careers, uh, championing himself as their, as their legacy. So good, good riddance to bad rubbish when it comes to Steve Bannon. Okay, time for some things I like, some things I hate, and then we'll do a brief Bible talk. So things I like. This one was recommended by our own Mathis Glover. Uh, this is the movie Moon with Sam Rockwell. Um, I watched it the other night with my wife. It is, it's really well done. I mean, I think that it was done on like a $5 million budget and it looks really good. I mean, it's a very good looking film. Uh, the basic premise is that Sam Rockwell is working for a corporation uh, and his job is to mine on the moon. And then it seems like he's starting to go crazy. And I can't really tell you more than that without giving away some of the, the plot of the film, but it's a very good looking film. Uh, the music is interesting. I will say, I think it's a little bit overlong. I think the runtime on moon is uh, something like an hour 40. Uh, so I think that it's uh, it's, it's an hour thirty seven. This this really should have been more like a Black Mirror episode. Is the truth? It should have been more like a like a Twilight Zone episode. If you had done this movie in an hour fifteen, then it would have just been fantastic. Uh, it's still a good movie. It's just not a fantastic movie because it's at least twenty five minutes too long. But it's Sam Rockwell gives a tremendous performance. I mean, he's really good in it. Here's a little bit of the trailer. Sam Bell reporting to Central. Everything running smoothly. Over and out. Rock and roll. God bless America. Good morning, Sam. Do you want me to cut your hair then? Lunar Industries remains the number one provider of clean energy worldwide due to the hard work of people like you. <laughs> Three years is a long haul, you know. I know you're really lonely up there, but I'm proud of you. Two weeks to go, Sam. Two weeks to go, buddy. I'm going home. Looks like we got a live one. I'm going to go out. Okay, Sam. I'm going to stop it there because in the next five seconds of the trailer is a bit of a spoiler. So uh, it, is, uh, it is a movie that is, that is worth the watch. It's a, it's a good, creepy film. Okay, uh, other things that I like. So Trump did comment yesterday on Oprah Winfrey's possible candidacy. This is the thing that I think everybody likes about Trump is that the, the guy certainly has no problem speaking, uh, speaking out clearly on, on what he thinks of himself and his qualities. Here he is going after Oprah Winfrey yesterday. Yeah, Vito, Oprah would be a lot of fun. I know her very well. You know, I did one of her last shows. She had Donald Trump, this is before politics, her last week. And she had Donald Trump and my family. It was very nice. No, I like Oprah. 
I don't think she's going to run. <laughs> I don't think she's going to run. I love the gleam in his eye when he says this. I mean, if there's ever a person who has never lacked for ego, Donald Trump is that person. So you got to love that a little bit. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. So Chelsea Manning should be in jail. Okay, Chelsea Manning is, of course, the transgender woman uh, who was a traitor to the United States and Barack Obama freed Chelsea Manning because Chelsea Manning was transgender. If Chelsea Manning had just been any normal traitor, Chelsea Manning would still be in prison. But Chelsea Manning on Law Enforcement Appreciation Day tweeted out, F the police, disarm the police, hashtag we got this, hashtag Law Enforcement Appreciation Day, and a lot of emojis because Chelsea Manning is legitimately a person with mental illness. And Chelsea Manning... Uh, you know, again, the fact that this person was freed by the president of the United States to, to leave prison and then slander law enforcement officers who defend the country as opposed to Chelsea Manning who undermine the country uh, is really despicable. Okay, other things that I hate. Shannon Sharp, there, there's this, this tendency on, among folks on the left to deliberately misread the Constitution of the United States and the Declaration of Independence because they are historicists. They will do a routine where they suggest that the words in a particular document are bound by the actions of the men who wrote them. So in other words, when it says all men are created equal, the people who wrote that didn't believe that black people were equal, therefore all men are created equal doesn't mean anything. Well, no, it does mean something. It means all men are created equal. And many of the founders knew that that applied to slaves also, including people like Thomas Jefferson, by the way, who essentially said as much at the time, even though he didn't act properly in that way. But here's Shannon Sharp from ESPN suggesting that the Constitution was written for white men and all this nonsense. The, and Rob, you mentioned this. This very country was found on protest. There was something going on in Britain, Skip. Mm -hmm. Taxation without representation, freedom of religion, and all that other stuff. Instead of saying they were uh, out, they're called founding fathers. That's what they're called. They're not radicals. They look, Dr. King, he was a radical. Uh, 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 Malcolm X, he was a radical. Right. Colin Kaepernick, he was a radical. No, 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 no. Because I think there should be justice for everyone. You shouldn't be treated better than me because of the color of your skin. You shouldn't get privileges. All I want, all I want is fair and equal. The Constitution said it was going to be fair and equal. Now I know when you wrote that, you weren't writing it for me, but you said what the Constitution says. It doesn't say white men. It says all men. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, like, well, they put that in there, but it, there was no blacks at the table. There were no women at the table. So yep. in the actuality, they meant all men, all white men. Okay, so the, the idea that they, that they you know, wrote the Constitution only for white men is obviously untrue. We actually cut a video on this that I think we're going to be releasing in the near future about why this is completely untrue if we haven't released it already, that the Constitution was written for white men. Uh, it's, just, it's just nonsense. Uh, the idea that it was written for white men ignores all of the Enlightenment philosophy that, pred that, that the Constitution was, was predicated upon and the universal principles that the Constitution espouses. Just because you are unable to meet your own standards does not mean that the standards don't exist. Uh, the, the Constitution was not just written for white people. And there are great black leaders like Martin Luther King, like Frederick Douglass, like Booker T. Washington, who would have agreed with me, not with Shannon Sharp. Okay, final thing that I hate. Final thing that I hate here. I just have to comment on this. There's this pastor, uh, and he announced at one of his services, I guess his name is Andy Savage, he announced that he had engaged in sexual incidents with a 17-year-old in 1998 when he was a college student working with a Texas church. He admitted this to his congregation and said that he had apologized, and then the crowd gave him a standing ovation. Here's what it looked like. I'm sorry to Jules, to her family, to my family, to my church family, both then and now, and most of all, to the Lord. My repentance over this sin 20 years ago was done believing that God's forgiveness is greater than any sin, and I still believe that. 
Uh, since then, I have tried to live my life in keeping with that original act of repentance. For any painful memories or fresh wounds, this is created for anyone. I'm sorry. And I humbly ask for your forgiveness. I love you all very much. We have a 20 second ovation for that. Okay, that is completely inappropriate. You should not be given an ovation for making a public confession. Okay, the purpose of doing repentance is not for other people to forgive you unless you receive forgiveness from the person themselves. And apparently this guy did not get forgiveness from the girl. Apparently, Miss Woodson said, quote, it's disgusting. She told the New York Times. She said that, that Savage forced her to perform certain acts upon him. And uh, he said that he thought that the matter had been dealt with. Woodson said that that was not true. Uh, she had not brought it to law enforcement. In any case, there is this tendency that we have where we'll say, well, you know, we'll forgive somebody, right? We'll forgive somebody. You see this with politicians all the time. Democrats say, well, I forgive Al Franken. And you'll see people say, well, I forgive Donald Trump if, you're on the, if they're on the right side, or I forgive Roy Moore. Or if they, if they committed an act of repentance, then we say, well, we forgive them. It is not up to you to forgive a sin committed by somebody against someone who is not you. That's not your job. That's between that person and God and the other person. In Jewish philosophy, right before Yom Kippur, you're supposed to go around asking everybody for forgiveness. But the idea is that God is not really going to forgive you unless you actually ask the person that you have wronged for forgiveness. And you have to ask them for forgiveness at least three times before God has any say in the matter. Just from a religious perspective, the idea of giving somebody a standing ovation for confessing a sin in front of an entire congregation, a sin against another human being, that, that uh, the, I, I just I find that disreputable. I find it disreputable, and I don't think religious people should be cheering anybody who committed a sin against another human being and then confessed it in front of a third party. You're the third party. You do not have the capacity to do this, okay? It, it's, one of my, it's one of my pet peeves, actually, that there are people who will say things like, well, why don't the Jews just forgive the Nazis for, for the Holocaust, right? If they, if they were just a little more forgiving, it's like, it's not your job to forgive, okay? It's not your job to forgive. You can say that you think it's good that this guy repented. I think it's good that he repented, too. But it's not my job to say that he's off the hook because he certainly isn't. And giving him a standing ovation uh, is, uh, I think, really kind of a negative, nasty thing for, for a religious community to be seen as doing. So I actually can't believe it. I forgot to get to the Obama presidential library because the design is incredible. So we will lead off with that tomorrow, I promise, unless there's some other piece of huge breaking news. But we will get to it. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Mathis Glover, executive producer Jeremy Boring, senior producer Jonathan Hay. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2018. Did you know that mRNA vaccines are approved for use in pigs in the United States? Not to mention 85% of the beef sold in your local grocery store is imported. In fact, over 5 billion pounds of meat was imported just last year. There's so much mystery surrounding our meat, which is why I'm so grateful for my Good Rancher subscription. I know that I don't have to worry about imported meat or unknown vaccines in the food that I feed my family. Good Ranchers is saying mRNO to mRNA by offering a free 10-pound Easter ham with any subscription. Unlike the pork from the grocery store, Good Ranchers ham is guaranteed 100% free from mRNA vaccines. This is a $119 value, absolutely free with code DAILYWIRE. Go to GoodRanchers.com and say MRNO to MRNA by subscribing today. You have a right to know exactly what's in your food, and Good Ranchers is dedicated to protecting that right and providing your family with the best meat in America, free from any unknown and potentially harmful additives. Go to GoodRanchers.com and subscribe to any of their boxes and use code DAILYWIRE at checkout. 
Every subscription will come with a free Heritage Ham, $25 off, and Good Ranchers Lifetime Quality Commitment. That's GoodRanchers.com, code DailyWire.